Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. And so the famous hymn, the Messiah, that is taken from this passage. Isaiah describes the coming of the Messiah as a light breaking into the darkness. Those that dwelt in the shadow of death, the darkness, those controlled by fear of death, by the darkness, have seen a light that fills with joy and displaces oppression and fear. The rod, you know, the rod of the oppressor is broken. The boots and clothing of battle are burned. Violence and death no longer reign. In place of war and violence, unto us a son is given. And this child is God himself, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. A new reign, a new sovereign brings a new order as this prince of peace displaces violence, displaces death, displaces war as the reigning principles. Justice displaces injustice. Righteousness displaces unrighteousness where his kingdom spreads. Of the increase of his kingdom and of peace, there is no end. And so we've passed through the period of Advent to the birth of this son. And I think in this period brings two perspectives. The perspective of darkness broken open by the light. And I think we can see this in the birth story, in the unfolding of the story of Mary and Joseph, as they prepare to bring the Prince of Peace into the world. The forces of darkness, the forces of Rome, the forces of poverty, close in on Joseph and Mary. Pregnant Mary is forced to travel. 
And they only find animal accommodations. There is no room for them in the end. I think this period is representative of an even longer period of darkness, which may seem endless. The dark night before Christmas is representative of a long history in which a dark perspective prevails. The period in which the oppressor prevailed, you know, the boot tramping warrior and the blood of war may have seemed determinative and undefeatable. This darkness of a seemingly meaningless world is one that can grip us at any time. This is the famous line from Shakespeare's Macbeth. You know, Macbeth, after murdering and manipulating his way into power, he laments the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. The world can appear dark. Actually, we have a similar passage from Scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes. And here we understand it's not simply a matter of either believing or not believing in God, as this belief can still abandon you to the vanity of life. From Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1 to 8. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened, and the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all of the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fears shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail. Because man goeth to his home, and the mourners go about the streets, or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel be broken at the cistern. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. There's nothing darker in the passage of Scripture than these passages from Ecclesiastes. This is the biblical version of life is nothing but sound and fury, void of any clear meaning. Though God and law are present in Ecclesiastes, still all seems dark and vain. I think we have to see the darkness. We have to understand the darkness that has been dispelled to understand the nature of the light. William James puts the same sentiment in the modern scientific idiom. 
Though the scientist may individually nourish a religion and be a theist, he says, in his irresponsible hours. The days are over when it could be said that for science herself the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Our solar system with its harmonies is seen now as but one passing case of a certain sort of moving equilibrium in the heavens, realized by a local accident in an appalling wilderness of worlds where no life can exist. In a span of time which as a cosmic interval will count as but an hour, it will have ceased to be. The Darwinian notion of chance production and subsequent destruction, speedy or deferred, applies to the largest as well as the smallest of facts. It is impossible in the present temper of the scientific imagination to find in the drifting of the cosmic atoms, whether they work on the universal or on the particular scale, anything but a kind of aimless weather, doing and undoing, achieving no proper history, and leaving no result. Nature has no one distinguishable ultimate tendency with which it is possible to feel a sympathy. In the vast rhythm of her processes as the scientific mind now allows them, she appears to cancel herself. The bubbles on the foam which coats a stormy sea are floating episodes made and unmade by the forces of the wind and water. Our private cells are like those bubbles. Their destinies weigh nothing and determine nothing in the world's irremedial currents of events. Solomon, James, share this dark perspective, unrelieved, I think, by belief in God, that death, as Solomon says, and chance happened all. He says, better a living dog than a dead lion. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten, and also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. It's not simply that hope for life beyond the grave will relieve the burden, as every indication experiential, scientific, observational, is that life reduces to meaninglessness. Maybe there are clear moments when the heavens do indeed seem to declare the glory of God, but what may go unacknowledged for believer and unbeliever is the fear that it all amounts to a lot of sound and fury, signifying nothing. This is the feeling of darkness. I wanted you to feel the darkness into which the light breaks. The light is dispelling a particularly dark world. One so dark, in fact, I think, that we probably delude ourselves. Some forms of belief are a delusion. We know that. Some forms of Christianity may be a delusion. Maybe the optimistic humanist isn't this grasping after the delusion of meaning? Because the alternative is unbearable. Isn't Friedrich Nietzsche correct 
that a hard-boiled honesty in the face of darkness is the most difficult and yet most necessary. Nietzsche recognizes our capacity for self-deception. He calls it our will to truth. Our will to truth, he says, is a deception. Nothing more than a means of escape. If honesty and truth go hand in hand, as it seems they must, it may be that an understanding of the perspective of Solomon, the perspective of James, the perspective of Macbeth, maybe Shakespeare, precedes a full appreciation, not only of the constitution of the darkness, but the nature of the light. That is, the birth of Christ, the incarnation, can be made to fit too small of a notion, in which he does not so much change up our reality as just give us hope of deliverance from our perception of reality. I think there is a tepid Christianity, a tepid notion of reality and religion in which the full depth of the problem of the human dilemma is not appreciated. And as a result, the radical nature of the incarnation is not appreciated either. Jesus can be made to fit a delusion, a ready-made frame of truth. Maybe we call it Constantinianism. Maybe we call it Americanism, Neoplatonism. But this is the equivalent of making him fit the darkness. A dualism of heaven and earth or body and soul can accommodate, maybe through a form of denial, the darkness. And if we do not understand the nature of the darkness, we're going to miss the star of Bethlehem. Christ may be misrecognized as a mere deliverer, a warrior messiah, a legal remedy, an appeaser of divine anger. But what goes unrecognized is that God come to earth in Christ is not simply dispelling a problem, not simply ridding us of a future darkness, but is encompassing all creation in who he is. The world has seen a great light. The darkness has been pierced. The people who walked in darkness have seen this light. Those who dwell in a land of darkness. Incarnation, Emmanuel, is God with us. Theosis, enacted. There is a union between God and world in which God has eternally attached who he is to what we are. And what we are has become part of who he is. We might think of it as an innovation, but it's not an innovation that violates the true nature of the world and of ourselves. But there is now a reality opened up which exceeds human possibility. The world understands through the limits of the laws of nature, the laws of Koheleth, this, you know, Ecclesiastes, the laws of science, think William James. But in Christ, the world is no longer understood as existing according to the limits of this dark, imminent frame. The laws and principles of nature are not violated in Christ. Think of the miraculous virgin birth. There is still a natural birth. In the wonder of the coming of the Messiah, there is still natural growth. Luke tells us that he submitted himself to his parents. 
But there is an innovation in which God's power and wonder are directly manifest. It manifests a wondrous power for it displays nature being acted upon and acting outside the limits of its own laws. The innovation of Christ doesn't change nature, it doesn't change natural principles, but he opens up the possibility and reality of these principles, acting in upon nature, upon the world in a new way. His divine mode of being is united with the principle of human nature. God with us, Emmanuel. Such that the ongoing existence of human nature is conjoined with a transcendent mode of being. This is the mystery of Christ. This is the light of Christmas. To put it in a different idiom, God is bodied forth, incarnate in the world accomplishing in the mystery of his embodiment, filling out who he is for the world and a completion of what the world is for him. This reveals the nature of the world and the nature of who God is. Emmanuel, God with us. God and world, creator and creation, human and divine are conjoined in Jesus. The light has broken into the darkness. And so what we see in the birth of Jesus is the created order. Certainly it continues. Birth, life, death, evil. They account for the natural reality that even Jesus experienced. But at the same time, the natural is taken up and in the supernatural. Jesus is fully human. And even in the midst of walking on the water, curing the blind, cleansing the leper and raising the dead, the natural order continues, but the supernatural now interacts, takes up, innovates, and makes something new of the natural. A virgin birth, a dead man raised from the grave, the natural end of man, it's emptied of its contents. The created and uncreated are unified in Jesus, and this is now who and what we are and what the world is. Even though he suffered, he was truly God. And when he worked miracles, the same one was truly man. So the miraculous birth of Jesus marks the incarnation, a new stage in the relation of God to the world. It's not that anything has become different. It's that the darkness has been penetrated by the light. Nothing has changed up in their being, but in their mode of existence, they've been transformed. It's not that God's purposes have been changed, but vision is no longer constrained by the darkness. The ground and goal is found in Jesus is now the ground and goal of creation. So Christ is nothing less than the union of God and world. An impossibility, according to any other system. But what is found in the incarnation is the purpose of creation. Paul says... Jesus is the first fruits, the firstborn of a new sort of humanity. He duplicates the divine image and the human. In Jesus, we see the new mode for humanity, no longer enslaved by the darkness. Let me conclude by quoting one ancient theologian, Maximus the Confessor. He says, having been wholly united with the whole world, 
within the limits of what their own inherent natural potency allows, as much as may be, they were imbued with his own qualities, so that like the clearest of mirrors, they are now visible only as reflections of the undiminished form of God, the Word, who gazes out from within them. For they possess the fullness of his divine characteristics, yet none of the original attributes that naturally define human beings have been lost. For all things have simply yielded to what is better, like air which in itself is not luminous, completely mixed with light. The world and its principles cannot contain the principle that showed up in Mary's belly. Given this world's laws as final explanation, I believe darkness does indeed prevail. We have to be honest about this conclusion. Given the reality of the incarnation, though, the world is not all sound and fury, a vanity. And humanity is not a momentary bubble cast up by the sea of nature. The world is imbued and being imbued with the qualities of Christ. And we are part of accomplishing this task, this yielding to what is better. The dark world made luminous as it is mixed with the light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.